welcome to uh, another episode of Kavira Insights, where we talk to uh, industry leaders and learn more about how we should be managing our wealth. Today, we have the pleasure of inviting Chintan. Um, Chintan Javier, he's the head of product development and strategy at ICICI Potential Asset Management Company, one of the largest AMCs. Um, thanks, Chintan, for joining us. Just a quick introduction for Chintan. Um, He's been with ICICI uh, through asset management as a management trainee, and then he has worked across multiple different sectors, multiple different funds, uh, has been an industry veteran for a very long time, has seen the industry evolve, has seen all the developments that have happened that have made ICICI Prudential the big name that it is today. So um, his background, he has a master's in commerce from Sydenham College of Commerce and Economics in 2005, and he's a fellow member of the Chartered Accountant uh, in, from Institute of Chartered Accountants of India. So uh, welcome, Chintan. Pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. And uh, while while you did mention good words like veteran and uh, you know has so much experience, I still feel that it is just the first that I'm learning because the market doesn't cease to stop. I mean, I, I think I've learned more in the last one year than I did in the last 16 years. And probably it's just still the start of the learning journey. So... Thank you but, for but that. But that's that's the that's always going to be true, right? It's the market is the ultimate teacher. So I think, um, but it's it's still it's still pretty impressive, right? Sixteen years is a long time, and and I think um, the cycles you have seen, I think everyone can definitely uh, learn a lot from from that experience. So so starting out from there, right? I mean, you've been like you said, sixteen years. Last year has been the biggest learning year. What was so different last year, and where do you uh, believe the market is right now? Yeah, so uh, I think if I if I sum up the 16 years and I saw the Lehman crisis, which was the U.S. housing crisis, and that was a financial crisis, the largest financial crisis that I have seen, and that there was a response to that in terms of central banks putting in more money, and then we felt that okay, when is the next financial crisis happening? When is the next financial crisis happening? And then the final crash actually happened in March 2020 because of a health pandemic, which obviously right. for the last hundred years humankind had not seen, and so it was a big learning that. Uh, a potential pandemic. Never read about it, never seen about it. And so you can say that probably I missed out on reading enough and that's the learning. But uh, the response to the health pandemic was also the same, right? Liquid Liquidity steroid. And how that liquidity steroid then panned out in the next 12 months and how we reached an all-time high across all markets, equities, commodities, agri-commodities. And more importantly, what it means for the next three years and what it means for investors is something which has been a good learning so far. Luckily for us, we were constructive because our valuation models did tell us in March 2020 that it is flashing green in terms of uh, markets being too cheap. Um, right. currently, currently, of course, that's probably not the case. We are not very cheap, but let's see what the next thing is. Where, where in that risk-reward spectrum would you put the markets today in comparison of history? I know yes. you guys published this, uh, this you know, that green-red uh, so if you can just, you know, talk a little bit more about that, that would help. Yeah. So in terms of if we see past valuations and uh, or other valuations based on past historical averages, uh, currently the markets are not cheap. Uh, no two ways about it. But we have to see it in the context of what's happening globally in terms of valuation re-ratings that are happening. So past averages mean little when the entire tectonic plate is shifting upwards globally. Will it stay there or not will depend on whether liquidity will stay or not. And that's where uh, we have to answer that question. But let's look at India from a market cap to GDP perspective. We are 100% from a valuation perspective because last year was such a difficult year in earnings. We are at about 31 and a half times past earnings. 
but the good news is that with normalization of earnings and more importantly metals and energy starting to participate along with the banking sector in terms of profitability on a forward basis it looks like based on earnings estimates that we would be probably in the range of 22 times fy22 and 18 18 and a half times fy23 if i'm not mistaken so obviously these numbers are subject to change based on assumptions that profitability is going to improve uh, but long term average for india has been 16 17 or 16 odd we have been at 18 around so we are not too expensive uh, let's look at the numbers in us in us the market cap to gdp is 220% today relative to 120% even in the peak during the lehman crisis and us unlike in india the business cycle is advanced they've seen tax cuts they've seen business growth they've seen earnings growth etc all happening in the past the dollar strengthening has is behind us so for a economy which is growing at maybe 5% at best in us the market cap to gdp at 220% may not be sustainable while in india at 100% market cap to gdp with an economy which can potentially grow at 8% real gdp and maybe 6-7% no, uh, inflation which is about 15% nominal gdp this 100% number looks more sustainable so with that along with the fact that corporate profitability as a percentage of gdp which was 8% in 2008 in india has come down to 2% we are also at a low so business cycle wise we are at a low and hence yeah. while our valuation parameters for compared to last 10 years or 15 years average show us that we should be lower in equity if next two years pan out the way we are expecting then maybe still indian equities have steam uh, if you are in the right sector in the right manner and the right product so so if i can you know uh, kind of you know uh, like uh, to put it in a more uh, or in a, in a slightly different uh, terms so will it be fair to say that while prices have run away a little bit the the belief is that as the pandemic comes out earnings will catch up so the price to earnings ratio which currently looks a little bit inflated on a trailing 12 month but because that trailing 12 month is mostly that pandemic time period should revert down to like what you were saying the forward uh, 22 or 23 pe of our 22 or 23 right so um, that that actually makes a lot of sense so in a, in a way then Uh, the risk comes in whether the earnings rebound will happen or not. True. That, is that a fair statement? True. And as things stand right now, it seems comfortable that earnings rebound will happen. Is happening. Yeah. yeah. At least the early numbers are really good. Like the companies that are coming out with that, I, I've been uh, following them, and all of them are are. And actually, the management is quite bullish, which is which is usually a very good sign. Yeah. Uh, so in this in this scenario right and you you also you know you also had product development for for icici so what kind of products are you know you are the most proud of kind of launching in the indian ecosystem and what kind of products do you think an investor can see going forward yeah so i think uh, the bouquet of products which we have created i think the idea is that we should be a one stop solution for investors all investment needs and in in very sensible well defined manner as to what that product would want to achieve for the investor and within that of course uh, the product which we are most proud of is the dynamic asset allocation category or the balanced advantage fund which we firmly believe should be a part of every investor's portfolio simply because just the, quickly if you can explain what a dynamic asset allocation just for you know some of the viewers who may not know uh, that would help you yeah. Uh, which is which is exactly what my next statement was going to okay. be. Okay, <laughs> uh, which is a very simple category where the idiom of buying low, selling high, increase equity when the markets are low, decrease equity when the markets are high. You keep on doing it basis valuation models for days and days and years and years and you know ultimately at the end of the cycle you end up making the 
uh, wealth creation while protecting the downside. Quick, and quick yeah. question here, right? Uh, uh, compared to last year and, and looking at today, what was the equity allocation in a dynamic asset allocation fund then and what is it now? Because that would probably be a very clear indication you're almost, of... You're, you know, almost, you're almost reading my next statement. Oh, okay, okay. So, 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 which was my next point that essentially, if we see what has happened in the last 15, 18 months, how many right. of us were actually able to increase equity exposure in the February and March fall? Because even if I look at myself, I found the pandemic so overwhelming that I was frozen. Uh, I was scared about losing money because markets suddenly fell and we don't know when they will bounce back and when valuations became cheap, everything was looking so cheap. Still increasing equity exposure. So your friends and family are suffering. The news flow is really bad, not in the sense of people losing money, but people losing lives. Right? It's very hard to react. I, I totally hear you. Yeah, so, so, it's a very, uh, so just, hard to, situation. just to put this in numbers, how the dynamic asset allocation fund helps you and if you're invested in it, how it basically helps you without having to worry about, you know, this aspect of not being able to put money, not being able to, uh, you know, uh, get the courage to invest more when the market falls. In January 2020, markets then were probably doing very well just before yeah. the fall. The fund was about 47, 48% invested in equities uh, then and thereabout. Then there was a sharp fall in February where 6% market fell. And I think in March, we fell another 25 odd percent roughly. In this February and March fall, we went from 47, 48% to 77% in equity. That's about 30% incremental equity invested in the two-month period in the balance. And this was automatic. Nothing was asked for the investor. The fund did that internally on its right, own. Right, correct. So th that's the basic model, right? Whenever the markets kept on going up, we kept on booking profits and sitting on arbitrage plus cash so that whenever the markets do fall, we don't have right. to go to the investor. We will invest that money nevertheless. And which we did and we follow the model with discipline the important aspect is it is the model which is telling us the dynamic price to book model which we have and we've been running it for the last i think now almost 14 years it the model tells us uh, sorry last 12 to 13 years the model tells us that how much equity should be there basis the market valuations today and it told us that you should be around 75 78 percent and we basically went the fund manager or the team did not think oh we should be lower it's very easy to think but we keep the emotions in, intact and follow the objective of the model. And similar to that, since the last one and a half, or one, about 15 months, from March 2020 to June 2021, as the markets have kept on going up, we've kept on booking profits. And I think uh, we are close to about the 40% uh, equity level today. Uh, so over in January 2020, but so, we've and the and the... Yeah, so effectively, again, the profit booking has happened. So as an investor, you got the benefit of investing in the market fall. You got the benefit of reducing equity as the markets go up. You didn't have to follow the market. You didn't have to keep on you know, seeing. And more importantly, when the markets fall, it becomes difficult to decide where to take out the money from because it's not necessarily you keep the money in a bank account. True, 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 somewhere. True, true. So I think... And, and, and Chintan has missed out one of, the, one of the other really amazing feature of this product that I personally love a lot is that all of this rebalancing happened tax-free. It, yeah. it, might, it might seem like that's a salient feature, but that's, you know, 10% or 15% of short-term capital gains or long-term capital gains saved right there. Um, and I mean, I love this fact. I, wherever you can rebalance in a tax-free way without paying taxes, that's definitely a win-win. So 
fantastic. And and, and so, so what else? What, what's next, right? What's next in the product journey for you? So as we spoke, where, where should investors be thinking about? You know, so you have balance advantage fund. So that becomes kind of like a a, a, a core fund. I would think that people should think about. What else should should someone be looking at? Correct. So as I spoke earlier, that with inflation uh, probably being coming back in a big way because investors have got more money in their hands and they are sorry people have got more money in their hands and they are consuming just by way of an example if we say in us the loss of income of the lower income group was estimated in the last 12 months to be 500 billion dollars versus that the american government through the federal reserve has probably given more than one and a half trillion dollars of money in the hands of those people who lost what about half a billion half a trillion dollars so three times the money was given to those uh, people who are in that group which actually will end up consuming and they do spend because they are basically making, make, you know, struggling to make their ends meet and suddenly if you get that money you really want to spend on basic needs which a human being has which pushes the prices of agri commodities commodities in general and uplifts the entire price mechanism it's happening in india as well and whenever that inflation comes back it basically leads to a diversified set of sectors doing well right uh, today if we, today if we see the sectors like telecom and power without which our discussion wouldn't have been possible are cheap in india relatively and are doing well and much like that banking selake many of the other sectors they are i mean india is an ocean in terms of the opportunity and if you want to participate in that ocean of opportunity we believe that investing in fully invested funds which can participate across the market cap cycle large cap mid cap small cap across all sectors will be good and that's where we believe the flexi cap fund is something which should be looked at from a long term allocation perspective in the fully invested equity category fair enough fair enough there's just only one thing i like so you know i, I think chintan really uh, stated very nicely how there is a bottoms up pressure where you know people have just lost half a trillion but they got 3x of that more the other thing that has also happened is um the if, if you look at the affluent investors right there is a savings glut you're not commuting to work you're not spending outside a lot of the a lot of the discussion is when a lot of that spend has gone down to zero you're not traveling you know all of that budgets have gone down to zero so people have more savings and a lot of those savings are being channelized into financial assets which is also kind of creating a price pressure on just uh, valuation from a valuation perspective right so um 100% agree in come in terms of uh, you know uh, investing across the market capitalization so there's flexi cap there is multi cap So, if you can, you know, throw some light on what are the uh, similarities, what are the differences, what are the advantages of uh, of both of them? Yeah. So, I think over the last uh, two years or so, uh, there's been clearly defined limits for various categories in mutual fund. We know large caps have to invest minimum eighty percent in the top hundred companies. Mid cap, small cap have to invest minimum sixty five percent in the mid cap and small cap respectively. And then there are other categories as well, multi cap and flexi cap. while people may feel it's the same uh, the difference is that in multi cap at all points of time true to the name multi cap the fund house or the fund manager has to maintain minimum 25% in mid cap large cap and small cap or large cap mid cap and small cap so that's 25% in each so at all points of time if i have to club minimum allocation to mid and small cap in a multi cap fund will be 50% right so in terms of risk reward curve if i have to say multi cap is slightly aggressive because it has Minimum fifty percent at all points of time in mid cap and uh, small cap, uh, and if also it takes away the discretion of the fund manager on which market cap correct. you want to be, because you're almost like your limits are being set. So the only discretion you have is in that twenty five percent. Correct. 
Correct. So it essentially becomes a decision on allocation based or stock stock picking rather than allocation between the various market caps. And then right. if you if you are able to pick the right stocks, then yes, multi cap funds also have a certain audience which may want to have participation in large, mid, and small in that proportion. However, right. the flexi cap fund, uh, which is a category which was uh, created uh, as a along with the, after after the multi cap fund rules were changed, uh, it is a most unconstrained fund. It is the largest category in India today, and our belief is that as a category, it will keep growing because it is an unconstrained fund. There are no restrictions on large, mid, and small. Like you mentioned, there is a flexibility which the fund manager will have, and also among the sectors and stocks if they are picked well. So, unconstrained and full flexibility would make probably flexi cap funds, if managed well and in the right manner, keep growing because they can participate across. The segments and make money, and years like 2018, 19, 20 will be rare. But it's only the top 10 names which contribute to the markets, while the rest of the market is probably in a very bad shape. That is rare, and we are coming out of that trough. So the next two right. years, so we believe that flexi cap funds do present a good opportunity, and it's a, it is already the largest category in the market. So two quick questions, right? Um, Flexi cap can go, so so it can also go into the micro cap space. Yes, absolutely zero restriction, right? Like okay, so is it fair to say that for from a fund manager's perspective, this is the true unconstrained alpha representation of what the best fund managers and analysts believe to be the right opportunities? Because there are literally no constraints there, right? I mean, every other category you have constraints. This is like an unconstrained environment, so. This is this should be like where all your top ideas or your you know wherever you have the highest conviction should be in flexi cap. Is that a fair statement to say? Absolutely, and that explains why obviously this is a category which is the largest category. It's basically, so what kind of risks also does it create? So let let's talk about the other part of it. You know, when when an investor is thinking about investing um, in a flexi cap fund or a multi cap fund or or, or, a, or a fund that invests across uh, market caps, what are some of the risks also that they should be aware of? So the risk, of course, the primary risk is uh, of it being a fully invested equity fund. So the risk of an equity fund lie, and that's where if you have a longer term horizon, that risk is more or less mitigated. Uh, right. The other risk is if the fund manager obviously you know uh, does not take the advantage of the flexibility and remains, let's say, in large cap and doesn't participate in mid and small cap. That can be one kind of risk, or the opposite of that, it remains in mid and small cap and then probably does well when they do well, but then. Right. So, lack of flexibility in the flexi cap fund is one of the biggest risks, and that's where if you can objectively manage that risk by having a method of being in large cap, mid cap, small cap, that miss risk gets mitigated. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, what kind of you know, um, from an investor perspective, what kind of at least risk attributes they should be looking at? Because you know, sometimes a lot of this alpha might take time to manifest, right? I mean, I, I would find it very hard. um as a fund manager or i would find it to be a very high expectation to expect a fund manager to to outperform year after year after year and we also know from history that doesn't happen so how, how should you know because it, it, the, the the one of the fears that that that's always there is that you know it's a good category it has certain very uh, attractive features but then people always fall victim to short term returns what happened in the last one year so how do you how how do you kind of you know uh, tell someone to kind of think about the bigger picture and 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 stick with the fund true so there the core aspect of 
the fund philosophy and strategy of the fund manager, the style of the fund manager becomes a very important decision-making tool. Let's say in the last five, six years, we have seen some flexi-cap funds doing exceedingly well because they were in large-cap quality names, while those who were in value and uh, cyclical names got hurt very badly in 2018, 19, 20. Were both of them wrong or right? The answer is not wrong or right. The answer is both have a particular style and that style will work in different market conditions. 2015, 16 to 2020 was a market market cycle in which the high quality mega cap style worked. In the last one year, the value uh, and let's say the cyclical segment has worked fantastically well and those who stuck to it have got the benefit. Imagine, the risk is, imagine a fund manager who is underperformed for three years because he stuck to value and cyclical. And right at the striking of the pandemic, most towards high quality and uh, mega you caps. Lose, you lose out at both sides. So this is, this is what, you know, this is what is also classically known as style drift. Yes. Um, and one of the key things that you have to look for is that your manager doesn't change styles. And I, I definitely agree. I think, Though I'll, I'll also have to add, you know, from what we see from, you know, investor behavior, investors actually find it very hard. So what happens is I think um, to a certain extent, um, and, and some of the data also shows that, is that um, there is some style drift in fund managers, but I think once it was identified, uh, there were uh, there were a lot of kind of, you know, uh, risk management and other tools that were put into place at, at, at asset management firms. So now we don't see a lot of manager style drift we still see a lot of investor style drift. The investor still chases. So your manager stays core, but the investor says, oh, small caps are working, let me buy small caps. Large caps are working, let me buy large caps. So, and, and I mean, again, you know, I think that'll take some time and that'll take some experience from the investors to kind of solve for. But a very, it, it's a very important point, I think, uh, when we think about what returns do investors get through their investment journey. Because at the end of the day, that is what is the most important marker on whether the industry is doing well or not. Correct. And that's why these two things are important when you're investing in equity markets. Time in the market is more important than timing the market. And if, like you said, people look at the rearview mirror and keep driving, there is bound to be an accident. Don't look at past returns and probably look at what's in store for the future. And most important, I think, is what you mentioned, right? That managers have probably put in place risk measures to ensure that the style drift doesn't happen, at least at the asset manager level. That's, I think, learning from the 2007-8-9 crisis. Those who learned from the 2007-8-9 crisis have ensured that they do not drift the style. And also, obviously, it also it, it's also up to the fund manager to be able to take the pressure, 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 because underperformance has its own stresses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which... which uh, very, I mean, I think seasoned fund managers can take it. On our flexi cap fund, if I have to just probably relate to it, uh, there are two things which probably we are doing, uh, which will again mitigate the risks which we are speaking of. One is we have a model-based approach, a very simple model-based approach to uh, allocate large cap, mid cap, small cap. So it is taking away one element of decision making from the fund manager, which can potentially cause higher risk to the investor. And that model is simply based on you know, the relative valuations and the representation of each of these market cap categories. Simple model, easy to replicate. When applied with discipline, we believe will aid investors in their journey in the large, mid and small allocation. So it will not be a constant large, mid and small allocation. It will change with uh, valuations. And okay, simple- again, simplicity is the best policy. And, you know, like, like you rightly said, simple model, intuitive model makes a lot of sense. And 
that is the most important part which is come that always comes after the end implemented with discipline because that is what usually is the hardest to achieve especially when either you are up 50% or down 50% people make errors only you know when there is euphoria or there is total gloom normal periods you know it's okay it's not something that you are going to take a decision on so that very 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 valid points uh, one last question jinder if you can answer uh, answer for us how do you invest yourself what is your own personal investment philosophy yeah so much like any other human being i also have my follies in terms of investment like i said you know in march i also got afraid i did not increase my equity exposure in a big way right. but yeah what i i do obviously is that a counter cyclical approach to investing wherein uh, you know uh, pick up the sectors and stocks which have valuations which i understand buy only those things which i understand uh, and not buy those things which i don't understand typical blockchain technology i don't understand so i wouldn't invest in that uh, i tried i tried but i couldn't understand so i left it uh, obviously gold as an asset class has to as a time tested uh, you know source of value and of course my wife likes it as an investment for obvious reasons uh, so i keep adding on to it and um, it's a balanced approach towards having the right balance of equity debt and gold and i think i follow that with discipline over the course of last 16 years i've learned one thing that if you have a disciplined approach towards asset allocation i think uh, you you probably end up uh, being well being being wealthy in the right manner rather than you know losing your sleep all the time and i think sleeping well is most important the pandemic is really most important right yeah yeah pandemic has started yeah, 100% agree. thanks chintan thank you so much that was uh, that was and, and i really appreciate that you were so honest about you know how you have invested and what you have learned in the past 16 years really a pleasure having you here thank you so much thank you so much it's always a pleasure